I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter, Romans chapter 15, excuse me. Romans chapter 15. And I'm going to be reading um, the first six verses. It's on page 805 if you're using the Pew Bible there in front of you. Paul writes, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I think that I'm somewhat cursed. And here's what I mean by that. I was born, I think, with a love for music. I really, I really do enjoy music, and I enjoy music of all kinds. Um, I really loved being in the traditional service earlier today. It almost felt like I was in the brass section. If you should go back and watch the replay, if you didn't see there one here, I mean, like the trumpet guy was like right here in front of me. You know, I felt like, and I could look over his shoulder, and I could see what he was looking at and what he was doing, and there were no words to follow along with most of the time, and he just knew when to pick his thing up. And it's truly amazing. I love being a part of that. I love being a part of the contemporary worship service, and I come in here early and see them getting ready and practicing. And there's something that happens, though, that, that I want to make a beautiful harmony when I sing. But like, I'm beyond bad. But like, I, can, I can try. Like, I try to make my voice sound better, but there really is nothing that I can do to somehow make my voice sound like what people around me sound like. But it does not stop me from singing. Why? Because I love music. So if you come to church and you're like, I'm not singing because I don't think I sound that good, then just come sit with me. And like together, we'll have this like really off-key, bad harmony church singing um, that ultimately, though, I think the Lord is pleased with. Because here's the thing, you and I sometimes tend to focus on how good things are, how they sound on the outside. And we have this problem where we can't really see through to someone's heart, can we? So you can sing and make this beautiful noise on the outside, but your heart can be totally separate from what it is that you're singing. Or we could be a church that's known for making beautiful harmonies. And people could say, man, we want to go be a part of Mount Brook Baptist Church because of how beautiful their music is and how, how great their harmonies are. And there could be a way for us to live in relationship with each other that though we might sound good on the outside, it could be the case that the Lord is saying, please stop. If there's such a disconnect between what we're singing and how it is that we're loving and living in relationship 
with each other. I think that's one of the things that Paul's getting at here in Romans chapter 15. In first, first 11 chapters of Romans, it's pretty much this theological tour de force. It's, it's like Paul's high watershed moment of his theology. And he just goes on and on describing our fallenness, God's work in grace and redemption, and what he's done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And then when he gets to chapter 12, he then turns into kind of these practical applications of, in light of all of these things that I've written about, in light of all of these things that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, now this is how you ought to live in response to that. And when he gets to chapter 14, he's addressing this issue of, or these issues of, how Christians who saw things differently in regards to what they ate and in regards to how they celebrated or didn't celebrate certain holy days, that these differences of opinion were threatening to cause disunity and conflict in the church. And so Paul in chapter 14, now the reason that eating things was so important, you and I are like, what's the big deal? Eat what you want. But the reason it was such a big deal in the first century to the audience to which Paul wrote is that the meat that they may have eaten might have been sacrificed in some temple to some other god. And there were all of these theological implications based on if they ate or if they didn't eat. And someone might come in and might say, you know what, listen, I don't care where the meat came from. I know there's no false gods at all. Give me that steak and I'm going to eat it. And someone else might come into the church and say, I don't know if we should be eating this. You know? Where did it come from? Has it been part of some kind of pagan ritual worship thing? Maybe we shouldn't eat this. Or maybe somebody would say, hey, this day's holy and set apart. We should live differently, act differently. Somebody else in the church might say, well, I think all days are pretty much the same. It doesn't matter how we act or do these things differently. And so there was the potential for conflict in the church based on how they felt or their opinions about these different things. And Paul writes to them, and he applies really this theological principle of the gospel to dictate how they lived in relationship with each other. And he doesn't spend a ton of time honestly saying, well, I think this group is right or this group's wrong. Or these people have the better argument, so let's go with them. That would be something that most of us would actually have a better, easier time with. Like, if you're right, I'm willing to go with you. But if you're not right, then I'm going to keep going my way. Until you prove to me or justify why it is that I should do differently. And Paul doesn't, he doesn't take that tactic with them. Instead, Paul leans into the good news of the gospel, and the way that Christ has loved us. And then he's going to say, because of this, this is how you ought to now love each other. And here's, here's a really hard and inconvenient truth. It doesn't lead to an easier expression of Christianity. It doesn't, it doesn't lead to something that's easier for you. And I think it's important for us to hear that this morning because sometimes I think we, we hear Christianity as kind of this life enhancement system. That, all right, 
here's Christianity, you're going to have a better marriage. Or here's Christianity, let's teach you how to raise better kids that kind of all turn out great. Or here's maybe a Christian way to manage your money and be better off financially. And I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't have something to say about all of those things. But I do think it's the case that, as we'll see in a minute, if there's not some way in which God's call upon your life in Jesus Christ doesn't make your life harder and require endurance and encouragement to get through, then it might be the case that you're not living the Christian life as faithfully as you should be. Okay, So listen to what Paul says um, in Romans 15, beginning in verse 1. Listen again to what he says. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So I think Paul would have agreed with the people who said, hey, you can eat what you want to eat. It doesn't matter. What matters is your faith in Christ. That's ultimately what matters. But he says, we who are strong, we who have that perspective in the faith, have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to do what? Please ourselves. Mm. Does that convict any of you? There, there is a part of having kids that's so helpful to reveal how selfish you are. You know, there's all these things that if I was picking the restaurant, this is where we would go eat. Don't ask me unless you want to go to Chick-fil-A. If you're like, hey, I'd like some Chick-fil-A, I'll ask May what she wants. It'll look like I'm on the same page. Or what do we want to watch on TV? May, of course, we're going to watch football again. What are you talking about? Right? But in a family system, there is this opportunity all the time that you no longer get to be the person in charge. And it could be with your spouse, it could be with your children. But that families cause us all the time not to be able to just do what we want to do. But we're now inconveniently in relationship with a bunch of other people who have opinions and want to do things that don't always line up with us. And so, so often I'm convicted of how selfish that I am, of how focused on my thing that I am. And Paul says, when we live in relationship with each other in the context of the local church, the strong in faith have this obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please themselves. Verse 2, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So the same idea that, that you and I, as we live in relationship with each other in the context of the local church, that, that we're not called just to participate in the life of this community of faith, such as it pleases us or makes life easier for ourselves. But the principle of how we operate and how we live in relationship is how is my life, how is my participation in the local church here at Mount Britt Baptist Church going to affect and build up someone else here? That God's called me here not to just receive or participate, but he's called me to serve and to build other people up. And now he's going to get to the why. So for that, that part of me where I'm just like, Ugh, Paul, you sure about this? Paul's now going to turn to the motivation behind it. 
Why, why is it that you and I are called to live this way in relationship with each other in the church? For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So he goes back to Psalm 69 and he, he quotes this passage and it places it on Jesus, kind of his life and ministry. And so if you think about Jesus' life and ministry, and during this season we're thinking about Jesus coming to earth and taking on flesh as a baby, correct? And there's this whole idea that Jesus did that purely for our good. That there was really nothing ultimately in it for Jesus. That he was fine to be where he was, separated from us, but he willingly chose to come and to take on flesh and to bear the punishment for our sins so that you and I might have eternal life when we pass away and abundant life in this life. And so he says, live this way. Care about other people more than you care about yourself. If you're strong in faith, bear with the failings of the weak. Live to build each other up. Why? Because this is what Christ did for you. I recently read the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I think about that parable when I think about this passage in Romans. You're probably familiar with that parable. Where the guy was laying on the side of the road and he'd been beaten. And all the religious people went alongside this other side, kind of away from him. And what did the Samaritan do? He went and he took care of the man. And kind of went beyond what was just necessary to sustain life. and went over and above to care for him. And I think what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 15 is that you and I need to see ourselves as the person on the side of the road. And that Jesus could have chosen to look the other way and not get involved, but he didn't. He came to us and he healed us of our sins and our iniquities. And so now you and I are called to live in the same way. Verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. So he says, all the things that have been written in former times were written for us and for our encouragement so that we might have endurance and hope. I want you to think for a minute, are there certain people in your life that require greater endurance and encouragement of hope for you to live in relationship with? Are there certain people? Do you go to church with some of them? It, it, it might be. And I think this is, this is where you and I have a great opportunity to kind of check our hearts and say, what does it mean for me to be faithfully involved in the life of the local church? Because I was thinking about this this morning. One thing that's different from Mountain Brook Baptist Church and your favorite college football team, how many games do they play a year? Depends. Mine usually plays 13 at best. At best. 13. 
or basketball or whatever else that you're involved in. How many Sundays a year does Mountain Road Baptist Church gather to do worship? 52. Every Sunday we gather and we have worship. And how many people do we need to make worship possible and make it happen? A lot. You can just write down if you're taking notes. A lot. And and the challenge that we face, to be honest with you, the challenge that we face is that more and more we need more people engaged and involved in the life and ministry of Mountain Brook Baptist Church. How many of you would love to be a Sunday school teacher? Now, some of you say, well, I don't know, because Sunday school teaching, it's like every Sunday. And there's 52 of them in the year. And, and I do have a life outside of Mount Brook Baptist Church. Maybe I could, maybe I could be on a rotation. Maybe. But there is that thing that, that it does require, and it does cost you to be a Sunday school teacher. It does. I went and visited a Sunday school class this morning. The Lord's gracious and funny in how he works in my life. I went to visit a Sunday school class this morning, and one of the things was just to say, hey, thanks for giving. Thanks for supporting the church. Appreciate what you do. And the person who was teaching Sunday school, you know what he said? He said, hey, let's hurry up. Let's give the preacher a chance to talk. You know, he only has to figure out how to talk 20 minutes a week, and i got to keep you guys busy for an hour. And, and one, of the, one of the people in the class said, yeah, and he gets paid. <laughs> and that's 100% true. 52 Sundays a year, we have Sunday school going on. 52 Sundays a year, we're trying, by God's grace, to stream this service. And mostly, we're trying to stream it to people who can't come. Right? who have physical limitations, who can't be active and be a part. And it is this, this, this lifeline, this kind of sense of I'm still connected with my church family going on. And we could go on and on with the different opportunities and things that we have as a church. And really, your deep involvement in all those things is not always going to make your life easier. In fact... Here's kind of the, the truth of Christianity. Oftentimes, Christianity and your faith in Jesus makes your life harder. It's just the truth of it. It makes your life harder. And the reason that Paul writes here, I think, just to remind us that, that God has spoken to us in the person of Christ and he's given us the scriptures and the example of who Christ is for us so that we might have the encouragement and the hope that we need to continue moving forward and to be the people that God's called us to be. If there's not some part of your Christian life that requires encouragement and endurance and the hope of the scriptures, then it might be that you're not exactly leaning into all that God's called you to do and to be in this world. Listen to what he says 
would be the result of this. So if we recognize all that God's done for us in Jesus, and that gospel truth moves our hearts, and then we say, okay, Lord, give me the endurance and the encouragement and hope I need to then live my life in the same way as someone who may be stronger in faith to yield to the group, what would the result of that be? That together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That the, the harmony, the unity that God's looking for in our church has nothing to do with singing on key. Has nothing to do with how well the musicians play has nothing to do with how well you sing as a part of the congregation. But that the harmony that God's looking for in us is for us to be a people who live in relationship with each other such that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is clearly on display in how we love each other. So that someone would say, why in the world would you do that? Why would you sign up to teach RAs? I, for one, can attest to the fact that that is a road that requires endurance and encouragement. Why would you do that? Why would you go back to be at church on Sunday morning? Why wouldn't you just stay wherever you are and not make the effort to be a part of that? Why would you give your time and your talents? Why would you give your money? to support other people growing in their faith? Why would you do that? And that our answer would be, the reason that I do that is not just for me. The reason I do that is because I truly believe what God has done for me in Jesus has changed my life. And so now I'm living in a way that's consistent with what God has done for us in Christ. That word glorify there means to to make someone else look better in the eyes of others or to increase their reputation. So think about what it would look like for us at Mount Brook Baptist Church to live in such a way that other people see us and they watch how we live and how we love and how we serve. And if they said, you know what, I don't know if I believe everything you believe, but my impression of this person, Jesus, is, is better because of how you live and love. That's something that's been really convicting to me this week, that if someone watched my life and how I live and how I act and how I love, would they get a better appreciation or understanding of who Jesus is? Or would they say, ooh, I don't, I don't know about this. Last verse. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. As you're thinking about how God's calling you to live in relationship with other people. And it could be that he's calling you to to serve more, to use what he's entrusted to you for their building up. It could be that he's calling you to give more. It could be that he's causing you just to show up more for other people. When you think about how hard that is, or when you think about what that costs you, or when you think about how annoying 
Joe is, in those moments, remember that, that you're welcoming other people in the same way that Christ has welcomed you. Remember that Jesus comes to us not because we're worth it. He comes to us not because we've earned anything. He comes to us purely from his grace and his mercy and his love. And so we welcome and treat others the same way. So I pray during this Advent season, if it's a time of renewal and restoration for you and for me, that God would do this work in us so that we might be a church that more and more with one voice glorifies Christ by how we live and how we love. I invite you to pray with me. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you are gracious to speak to us. Lord, I pray that you would give us hearts to listen. Lord, we, each person in this room, Lord, I am, I'm sure that we're all the same and that, that there is this part of us that we can be so focused on ourselves and our desires and our rights and our wants. Lord, that we can have a hard time looking up and looking out and living for the, the cares and the concerns of other people. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be at work in our fellowship, that you'd make us more and more people who, who embrace the call to discipleship and how we love each other, and that you might be glorified as we give our lives to build each other up in you. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.